Good afternoon. I am guessing it is afternoon when you are listening to this, and I am right in some cases. This is Blight, Stories in the Key of Decay and Repair. I am Sean Williamson. Uh, This is a fun episode for me because it's all short, super short uh, flash fiction stories. Uh, When it came out, um, it's this collection I did called You're Doing What I Should Have Done. Um, Matt Wilde at the Milwaukee Record, which is a website that everyone should check out, um, he said, Each morning when I wake up, Williamson begins on the opening piece you wouldn't believe. I think of everything that's happened. From there, he gets into that everything. Growing up and taking stock of your life. Dimly remembering first apartments and nights spent walking home alone and daydreaming about actress Jenna Fisher during drunk driving class. Then there's the title track, a sad, funny, and lovely, and sad again piece about the final days of gone but not forgotten Milwaukee icon Dave Monroe. It's not the past I regret, it's the future, Monroe says via Williamson. And um, yeah, that's all true. And if you like these shorts, go and check out our Patreon and become a subscriber. And there's going to be a couple on there for you to listen to. Okay, here it is. Uh, Blight, episode four. You're doing what I should have done. Each morning when I wake up, I think of everything that's happened. Where I lived in second grade, to days and days best forgotten. And you would not believe the trouble I've had getting people to laugh at these jokes instead of doing the things they think they should do, like making the bed, watching Netflix, or falling in love. But we're all here because we want to be here. The work's all done, checks all sent, kids are asleep, the babysitter is smoking dope, eating your caramel delights, calling long distance to France on your landline. Or maybe you live alone, but you don't want to live alone. And maybe tonight is the night when everything is going to change for you. And I have a kid, I have a job, and I have to wake up early. But I made myself a promise that no matter what, I'd keep stepping and keep writing and keep talking, keep singing, keep drinking, keep laughing. So that's what I'll do. In the back room, crowd of five on a Tuesday night, broke and alone and a little ways from home. It was this morning, at 6.30, that I dreamt that me and my girlfriend, Jenna Fisher, were visiting her parents in northern Connecticut or New York or some place I hadn't been. She put her head beneath my arm and smiled, and there was no disappointment between us. We must have been together for a while at that point. We were as calm as the snow and soapy water that swept up on the deck below us. And it wasn't long after, in the real world, that I scratched a scab on the back of my head, staring at a worn green tile floor in the MATC classroom downtown. The teacher paces back and forth in a yellow checkered shirt and khakis that his wife must have bought and tries to justify the court order of a 20-hour drunk driving class. He tells us that it's okay to drink and that, in fact, he has. He tells us a story, dramatically, with pauses and uncomfortable eye contact, about how the police brought him home on his daughter's birthday. This cop was a student of his years before and took him home instead of prison. The teacher was at a season-ending baseball party, and he talks about the pressure he felt because his students wanted him to stay and drink. High school students, mind you. I wonder where the story is going. I look to my left. One of the girls in the class, the one who looks guilty and ashamed, catches my glance and grimaces 
like someone was about to strike her. I understand. We watch a VHS tape and learn about Texas and all the things that are wrong with drunk driving laws. I know all about Jack Hampton and Candace Littner and the Texas lawyer who won't cast a shadow. I know about the man who pounds on the table underneath him and wonders how someone could wipe out his whole family like that. At the end of the four-hour class, the man talks about his friend, who asks if he still taught all those drunks. And then he says, blah, 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 and everyone laughs, but I can't because it's not funny. Instead, I hold my breath, rub my head, and think about Jenna Fisher. I see my reflection in the dirty window of a slowly passing Ford Taurus, my shirt halfway buttoned, a bandana wrapped around my head. I make jokes and get arrested and live in a bomb shelter on the end of Franklin Street, just down from the quarry that swallows you up if you get too close. Some guy named Gabe falls through the front door of the bomb shelter, covered with blood, on his way to the quarry, no doubt. We throw him on the couch and find a phone number we know in his razor. Her name's Anna. She's a girl my friend slept with in a three-way with Penny Dotson, who's dead now. It was at her parents' house while they slept stone-cold drunk in the next room. And in the reflection of that reflection, 100% back, I see my father watching my pregnant mother totter toward the car. It's August. My older brother with his bobblehead dragging a teddy bear through the midnight and two sisters, not born, not ready, waiting at some outside station. I was born at 3.33 and room 3.33, which is absolutely lucky or an absolute curse. Nineteen years older, with my shirt unbuttoned, I almost can't remember the Taurus or what Sarah told me in the driveway as we leaned against it. I talked about bashing that guy's head in she said, don't you do it. I was almost ashamed then, and sour with the year. I almost can't remember playing croquet, or laying weak, drunk, on a musty couch in an otherwise empty room, listening to records, after all my roommates moved away from the bomb shelter, or police cuffs, or walking home alone on that street by the lake, with a pocket full of tickets, every house, completely still, the only sound, my cell phone not ringing. Not long after that, in the dirty window reflection, our friend Molly dies from head trauma from a silly car accident. And at Memorial Hospital in Madison, we kiss her on the head right before those last moments. I move out of the bomb shelter and almost don't remember where I go. In the reflection of that reflection of that reflection, a long time before that, nobody saw anything.
Are you an orphan? Well, I knew my parents. They both died. I was accepted to grad school, then I took care of my brother, who died later. I don't mean to mention it so much, it's just the last time I had opportunity in life, when I was 23. You didn't cry mostly, surrounded by at least 50 books and snacks, cookies, pistachio ice cream, chocolate-covered pretzels. But it was hard when you had to admit you weren't sure if you'd see the new Star Wars movie, though J.J. Abrams sent you a signed poster, or if you could withstand a 12-episode season of the new Twin Peaks. Then you cried. It's just, I won't see those things. Or what happens to you? What happens with your book or watching your son grow, I'll never know. It's not the past I regret. It's the future. But it was mostly the same. Knocking off every shake on the hospice menu, because you might as well try strawberry, no point in stopping now, or almost losing it when I upset the balance of books. Philip K. Dick, Pynchon, a book on alien species. The books, like a fortress, then, as always, from loneliness, from fear, but this time, against the cancer. What would happen to your record collection, divided in storage spaces from Riverwest to Bayview? My new poem was very good, though there were things you would change, but we won't get into that now. You liked it, or you were tired from the morphine and wanted me to feel good. For me, either way was fine. Dave, it's beautiful outside your door, I said. Yeah, that's the path to the Garden of Tranquility, and that's what they call it, which, of course, they put me furthest away from, he said. We laugh. He never considered us friends, not close friends, for all the nights in the corner, at the bar, at Bernhardt's, Many nights, records, bars, after all, he'd walk in, leaning on his cane, a crate of records he lugged on the 15 or the green line, later if he'd been on the east side at the Oriental, or more likely Union Theater, and post up, inevitably dozing, glasses fogged and cracked, exhausted. Bussing, record shopping, bargain eating, walking on bad legs, overweight, then thin and gaunt. I'm not doing well, he seemed to tell me forever at the Lincoln stop, or spinning in the little window at Acme Records, riding MCTS for years to cancer treatments, featured in a TMJ4 segment, saying as much. Tuna sandwich is the best buy. It gives you the most sustenance, he told Frankie Latina and I one night after the bar had closed and we ate at the Jimmy John's across from his apartment. I read, I spin records, and I watch films, but mostly what I do is panic, Dave said before he went home, maybe to bed, to relate, what he was in for. The internet is out, the TV is out, my cell phone is out. I put the radio on the ledge in my apartment above Lulu, the street below, the corner store closed, ice cream shop closed, buses aren't running, maybe that old homeless woman standing in the shelter but not talking. I put the radio on the ledge because the antenna is broke and I don't have the money for a new one, but I'll turn it on and find a station so I'm not alone, he said. I can't go back to the beginning. I wasn't there. There was a whole life before the last five years. But Dave said, just remember me. And I said, okay. And when I told him I was moving to New York and finishing my book and playing with my child, he said, good, shrugging his complexities and details in hospice for a moment, putting them away. You're doing what I should have done, he said. <laughs> 